Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode five of The Growth Garden, our podcast dedicated to cultivating your career progression and personal growth. I'm your co-host, Kevin. Hi, and I'm Nikki, and I have the pleasure of introducing Christopher Biri, the entrepreneurial mind behind CT, a company that enables global enterprises to adopt a hybrid working model. Christopher boasts an impressive background, having studied at the University of St. Gallen with an exchange term at the prestigious University Harvard, and having worked in B2B sales at none other than Tesla, having moved from Germany to Switzerland to the US and then to the Netherlands, he circled back to Germany, where he now runs CT from the capital city, Berlin. CT is at the forefront of transforming the traditional workspace, offering innovative solutions that streamline the booking of shared resources, such as desks, meeting rooms, and parking spaces. Maybe there's more, but I can't wait to hear more about it. <laughs> yes, and we're very excited to have Chris today. Um, but before we dive into the intricacies of Chris's current uh, entrepreneurial venture, we'll rewind a bit and where it, it all kind of began. Chris was born in Germany to a Swiss father and American mother. And Chris and I share a personal history in the sense that we've crossed paths during our initial high school years. So please join us on today's podcast as we explore his story, insights, and the path that led him to where he is today. Hi, Chris. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for the very nice CT introduction. I don't think I could have pitched that uh, any better. <laughs> we'll send you the brief later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please do. Please do. I'll forward it to marketing. Maybe we can put that on our website. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for coming onto our show. And we have a tradition now, episode five tradition, where we start our podcast with a little bit of an introduction icebreaker, which is like mm -hmm. a 30 second sort of elevator pitch on one thing about your career and one thing you'd like to share about your personal life. Are you ready? Okay, I'll, I'll give it my best. Maybe fun fact, just top of my mind about my career is until I was like 17, I thought I might become a doctor, but then we were in biology class and the first time that our teacher put like an actual real heart in front of us. All of the people that ended up studying medicine, like immediately picked up the heart and stuffed their finger through one valve and through the other. And we're like, oh, this is so cool. And I was just looking at it and I was like, this is really gross. And that was the moment where I realized I would become that. So that was maybe the real beginning to my kind of business career then. About me personally, what's a fun fact about me? I mean, you said the one thing, I'm a bit of a weird hybrid of like, Swiss and American and also now German. So maybe that just off the top of my head is the is one interesting thing about myself. Yeah, that I would say describes me quite well as well. Bit of a person from a bit of everywhere, not really home anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm half German, half Australian living in Dubai. I understand you fully. I think yeah. that is very interesting. Yeah, when you're just like multicultural, right? <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yeah. Very nice. Great. Thank you very much for sharing that. Yes, thanks, Chris. Um, so as mentioned, we want to really start where, where it all started. And that always normally is the case in the academic journey everyone kind of had in the past. So we wanted to find out a bit more about you obtaining a bachelor's degree of uh, the University of St. Gallen and kind of your academic journey. You don't have to start at the very beginning, <laughs> mm. but how did you end up really in Switzerland to study, I guess, a bachelor's in economics? 
It was weird. It was never a super active decision I made, which sounds strange. But looking back, I think it's so interesting to see how just so many kids just study something in the area that their parents do or did, because it's, I think, just kind of the most familiar path, but also the path of least resistance. So to me, I don't know, I mean, I mentioned the story earlier. The only thing I knew was, okay, I'm not going to become a doctor. But beyond that, I was like, business world, I guess, you know, sounds interesting to a 16, 17 year old, didn't really know much about it and just seemed like, okay, cool. And then with St. Gallen, it was a cool university that, I don't know, sounded like a good mix of being quite fun, but then also having a pretty good reputation and you learning some interesting things. I have to say, looking back, I probably wouldn't do it again from an academic standpoint, from a social standpoint, 100%. Like I met some of the most amazing people there, but studying business and economics on a bachelor's level, at least in St. Gallen, was like a lot of well-phrased bullshit that I didn't apply a whole lot of in my later life. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I resonate with that. Yeah. Um, same, uh, if you can say mistake, but probably not. And yeah. actually going for the economic management route, um, which to this date, I do feel there, there's not much substance behind those degrees mm. besides obviously maybe more technical modules, one picks like accounting yeah. or whatever. But yeah, no, indeed, yeah, yeah. No, that makes absolutely sense. But then also just to uh, give our listeners a bit of an insight on your exchange to Howard, was this an affiliate uh, organization of Sangan? And what kind of insights did this exchange term give you going to Harvard, obviously Ivy League and then having all this prestigiousness around it? <laughs> was it really yeah. that? And what, how was your experience there? So I think if I remember correctly, it's not like a direct affiliate. It's not like a partner university, but you can still apply. I think anyone can apply there for kind of a, it's called free mover program or something like that. I mean, it, it was obviously really cool. Like the professors there, I went to a couple of different classes. So I did a class at the law school, a class at the business school and a class in philosophy and a class at the Kennedy school. So that's the political science side of things. And I mean, just like the quality of the professors and what they've done in their past. And like the most famous one that I had was the philosophy professor. He's called Michael Sandel. He's written tons of global New York Times bestsellers that I also really do find quite interesting around the morale of kind of economics and markets and whether everything should have a price tag and should be viable or whether certain things are kind of untouchable by the market. So that was really cool. So I would say some longer term things learned. And on the other hand, just probably the most impressive thing are just the people that are there because it really is, I mean, you know how it is to get into Harvard, you have to have some kind of a very impressive story or really rich mm -hmm. parents. That was also really learning. There were some people where I was like, how the hell did you get in here? And then you literally walk through campus and you see a library that has the name of that kid or the last name of that kid, like actually really? happened. <laughs> so that, that I was quite surprised by that. It's so obvious still that you can really kind of buy your way in there. But I guess that's how the world works. But yeah, on the, I don't know, 95% of the, of the people there were super impressive, super smart at a really young age, had done like crazy stuff. So that I think was, was really nice. Great. That's very insightful. And then just before we go into your um, actual career path, one last question on your academic journey. So you don't have to explain already the whole journey of you becoming an entrepreneur, but would you say your experiences in St. Gallen, Harvard or anything academically before really aspired you to become an entrepreneur? Or was this something that you wouldn't really refer to sparked already or kind of came along as, as you were going through your academic journey? I would say 
time before and after St. Gallen really motivated me or, or triggered something in me. So like during high school, I, I don't know, I worked on a few projects. I've made like a job platform for internships and I kind of liked, I don't know, just building something from scratch. And I thought that was kind of cool. And also just, yeah, I got in touch with a few people back then already that where I saw that could be an interesting path. During the time in St. Gallen, it was the polar opposite because there, honestly, at least while I was there, you're just being trimmed to suit as well as possible into like a consulting or banking career. And every single day you can go to some career event from some big bank, but there's rarely anyone who talks to you about how you start your own company or something like that. But then afterwards, once you get into the working world, I think you just also, it's a little bit of a depressing realization, but you're like, okay, cool. Here's my first job. I guess I can either do this for the rest of my life or try to build something on my own. And mm. that for me, I think was the biggest trigger. I was just like, I cannot see myself just working in a company for the yeah. rest of my life. Mm. And, I and we'll, that, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll dive deeper into, into those. Yeah. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, exactly, because that me directly into actually my next question is what, so obviously you studied in Switzerland and then in the US and you started your first job in the Netherlands with Tesla. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so what prompted that? Like, how did you even get to the job? How did you apply for Tesla? How did you get yeah. to that? So again, exactly tying back to what I mentioned, I would have never thought of applying there while in St. Gallen because mm -hmm. literally everyone was just going into consulting or finance. But then actually yeah. while I was at Harvard, my roommate was doing an internship at Uber and applying for jobs at Google and I don't know what. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. Like that's also something you can do literally as dumb as it sounds hadn't really crossed my mind or at least not as much uh, because mm. I was just so focused on these somewhat predefined career paths. And then I was like, okay, cool. What are kind of other cool companies? And I also kind of wanted to outdo my roommate and get a job at a company that was cooler uh, than his. And then I was like, Tesla sounds <laughs> nice. I thought that they were only in the Valley in California, but then I saw that they have their Europe, Middle East, Africa headquarter in Amsterdam. And then I was like, you know, 18 year old, well, I wasn't 18, I was like 20 year old. Chris was like living in Amsterdam, not bad. <laughs> and then I just applied. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Can you elaborate a little bit on your role at Tesla and how long you actually were there? So I did a few different things. I started off with an internship that was in the finance team. It was actually quite interesting. They were planning on founding their own Tesla bank. So not many people know this, but most big car manufacturers have their own banks in order to offer like leases and credits and stuff for cars. And it's actually one of the most profitable segments of most car manufacturers. So they were planning on opening up their own bank to offer these leases and stuff like that. But then before or I was going to start in that team full time, this new team popped up that was building up again, something completely new within Tesla, which was like the energy department. So they had nothing to do with cars, but rather stationary energy storage systems. Sounds very sexy, I know. But basically what that is, is like on a B2B level, huge, massive battery parks that you combine with solar, wind, or also hydro yeah. or any other types of large industrial energy sources. At the end of the day, really, there's a lot of different use cases, but the main one is to use these sustainable energy sources better and more efficiently. So the very simple example is if you have solar, you have energy during the day when the sun is shining, but then you don't have energy mm -hmm. at night. But if you connect a battery to it, it can charge up during the day deploy during the mm -hmm. night. And then I was on that team. We called it B2B project management. So these sales deals took like really long, had a million different stakeholders from 
manufacturing, uh, logistics, obviously legal and finance to like the installing engineers and stuff like that, that all had to be coordinated. And yeah, so it was like working on some interesting projects in like Eritrea, Finland, like literally all over EMEA. <laughs> Very cool. So going from that job to founding City, can you elaborate a little bit on that and what skills you developed at yeah. Tesla that then led you to founding your own business? So like the, the thing at Tesla was, I mean, people always kind of think of Tesla as a startup, but it's really not anymore. I mean, I think at this point, like 80,000 people work there. It's like a massive corporate. But in the two teams I was at in both scenarios, they were like quite new or they were building something completely new within the company. Mm -hmm. So I always find it sounds a bit cheesy, but I, I guess it is what it is. It was like a startup within a corporate. So it was like a very hands-on mentality. There weren't 10 other people that were taking care of every single other job and you were just super specialized, but you were rather really responsible at a young age for a really broad scope of topics. And while I don't even know, I mean, yeah, probably on like the commercial side in terms of like how to negotiate contracts and stuff, I learned a lot of things. It maybe wasn't even that much like practical know-how, but more just like this being able to approach a super wide, open, unclear field of like endless opportunities and how do you prioritize, what do you tackle first, what's like a systematic approach you can take. And I think that was really, really helpful to then starting my own company. But then what really triggered me was these startups within the company grew quite a lot, became part of the corporate, and then you just started noticing that your work got more and more specialized, more and more repetitive. And then I was just like, okay, now it's mm -hmm. probably time to just go to something else. And what would you say Elon Musk obviously being a visionary himself and obviously an entrepreneur, one of, I guess, the entrepreneur uh, among on the big ones in the world, would you say that his culture really fostered innovation and growth and sparking the entrepreneurial spirit in, in its employees? Or would you rather say you pivoted already a bit towards it, that the environment was rather corporate and, and challenging to navigate and, and actually rather the opposite is not really fostering entrepreneurial yeah. spirit in the workforce? I would say there was definitely that entrepreneurial spirit within the company, but I would honestly argue that that came from other people more close to me in the organization. Like the one thing Tesla did really well at the time is hiring really, really smart and maybe even more importantly, really, really motivated people that just mm. had like insane intrinsic drive. And I mm. think that is something that comes top down. So only if the founder or the most senior management is that way, acts that way, behaves that way, they attract people further mm. down that are also like that. And so mm. perhaps, or probably there is that indirect connection all the way top down from Elon Musk. But I would say for me, the big impact was really just like the immediate surrounding. And those were all really, really amazing and impressive people. And I mm. think that really drives you and motivates you then as well. So prior to transitioning now into your entrepreneurial journey, you consulted a career coach, as far as I know. Yeah. What really motivated you to seek this guidance while you were, I guess, still at Tesla? And, and what motivated you then maybe because of the career coach to leave Tesla, if you would attribute that move actually to the career coach? Yeah. So I think it was, like I said earlier, kind of already during high school and then also during the Harvard time, kind of got this idea of like, might be cool to do my own thing or work for a startup or with a startup or something like that. 
but it's in the short term, never the logical answer because you get less salary. It's way more uncertain. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't really know how to do it. So it's always in, a sh in your short term decision making process. And sadly, as humans, like we're, we're animals, we're always looking at where we're going to get our food from next. Mm. It's like you, you constantly have reasons to just stick with what you're doing. And I think with what, what the career coach helped me with was to just break out of that cycle. That was the main thing. Just take a step back, zoom out. Okay. You're in your early twenties, you have your whole life ahead of you. Are you really missing out on that much? If you were to leave a corporate job now, are the opportunity costs really that high? Is the risk really that high? And just talking through that, putting thoughts onto paper there and somehow rationalizing it made it a super obvious decision because I think especially in Germany or in Europe or whatever, the risk of starting your own company is significantly overvalued, in my opinion. Hmm. You're not going to, or most likely not going to have to invest all of your own money. And if it doesn't work out, you're going to land under a bridge. Like it honestly might be in the US where you don't have a social net and stuff like that. But rather in Germany, you have tons of government grants and social nets and backups that in case things hmm. don't work out, you'll, you'll still kind of be fine. And you're still a young, smart, motivated person. So even if it doesn't work out, you'll just find another job. And yeah. to get back to your question, that, that, those were the things that this coaching opened up yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, interesting. But those are really valuable points. Yeah, because especially you're right in the Euro in Europe, in the, in the European landscape of uh, our social welfare system, it's it's probably this pivot, as you were saying, of like feeling really secure, especially if you're in a big uh, multi-conglomerate. Um, and then the, the risk averseness you're kind of building up as you're getting more more and more sucked into this wheel, you're getting more risk averse, right? And then maybe from a third party perspective, it's actually not that risky at all, right? I mean, it comes with risk and it depends on obviously your background as well, but I feel yeah. it's valuable points that you raised there. But as you grow up, also risk gets like, you always have to also see it as if you buy a house or something and you have a mortgage, then you obviously want to be more risk averse. Whereas when you're in your twenties and you don't have these responsibilities, you can actually take more of a leap, even though it might sound scary, but you might actually yeah. be taking a leap earlier, but it, the reward later might be a lot higher. 100%. I mean, looking at it from an economic perspective, the opportunity costs grow exponentially over time of starting your own company or not working at a corporate. If you're in your 20s and you quit your job at a corporate, you're missing out on, I don't know, something, whatever, 40, 50, 60, 70 K salary. But if you're in your 30s or your 40s, then you're missing out maybe on a few hundred K salary. And so the opportunity cost is way bigger. And indeed, on top of that, you have other obligations that make you more risk averse as well. So that's why I was like, all right, cool. Let's, let's rather do it now. Although I do have to also say, if you look at the statistics, they do say that more experienced founders that worked in the field for a longer time, I think the most successful founders are typically in their 40s or something like that. Yeah. So that's another edge to it. <laughs> Interesting fact. Yeah. And, and lastly, on your, on your career coach, how would you say, did you pick the right career coach? I know it's, it's sometimes really a process. I mean, you can be, become lucky and obviously there's one career coach that you feel really close to and, and, and that kind of crosses your path and you go for it straight mm -hmm. away. Would you say there's any tips and tricks also for the audience listening as takeaways when actively seeking career coach that you use in terms of requirements and, and things you were looking out for when, when seeking for the right career coach? Yeah, good point. I think it was two things. So the one point was, did I feel that the person could 
put themselves in my shoes, like really take my perspective and understand how I think from my background, but also my personality type. Like I'm a quite impatient, pushy, but also I would argue ambitious person. And if I feel the coach is the complete opposite, I'd be like, maybe you're not really getting why I'm doing what I'm doing or how I'm thinking, etc. So that was one thing that I was looking for. And the other thing I always value with whatever you want to call it, service, I don't know, certain people that offer you services. I always just try to find, talk with people that already work with that coach or whoever. And, and if they recommend them, then that's just like a huge, huge plus. Yeah, of course. Um, can you maybe share some key outcomes from the sessions with a career coach? I think the biggest outcome was two things. The first one was just defining, rewriting it down on paper, what I actually want to achieve in the long run, what I would consider success for me personally. And mm -hmm. just thinking about that and writing it down, it became super clear to me. I was like, I, I don't want to become a senior manager at BMW, but I, I want to build my own company. That was somehow really clear to me. So mm -hmm. then I was like, okay, wow, that's my goal. It was in the back of my mind, but it wasn't like super obvious to me until I really thought about it. And then the other thing was just evaluating again, pretty pretty basic, just like, okay, what, what are the pros and cons of starting my own company now? Like what speaks against it? What are the downsides, all these risks and stuff like mm -hmm. that? And then what are the pros? And then really going through it super objectively and being this perceived risk and actual risk are two very different things. And is this risk really as big as you anticipate? But also are the benefits really as huge as you think, or is it actually going to be way more stressful and hectic as you think, which it ended up being. But that was the other major outcome that I would say helped me quite a bit like risk versus reward yeah and and just objectively putting it onto paper as dumb as it sounds and just being like these are the facts because in my mind i can make up endless scenarios and go through yeah. endless of thought course. processes but yeah of course it's always important to write things down i, I see that now yeah when I'm about things <laughs> it gets so overwhelming you're like oh actually let, let me put this down there very interesting maybe you can explain in what way the career coaching has also impacted both your professional ambition and personal fulfillment. Did mm -hmm. that have something to do with it as well, that you were looking for like something that fulfills you more? I would say that in terms of ambition, it just helped me gear my ambition in the right direction. I always was a pretty ambitious person. I don't know, sound, maybe sounds cheesy, but like worked quite hard and, and was quite driven and wanted to achieve things. But It, what really matters, I think, is what direction you channel that energy towards. And I think it can get quite frustrating if you're in a corporate and you're trying to kind of channel all that energy, but then it's kind of hitting a wall because the corporate just, there's only so much you can impact and so it can only move mm -hmm. so fast. And I mm -hmm. think helping me channel all that kind of energy and stuff like that was mm -hmm. really cool because it is way more fulfilling when you can really input all of that energy and also get equally sized or even larger output out of it, if that kind of makes sense. And yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, if it's your, your baby, so to say, then it's, yeah. you're, you're driving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're, you're, you really you're know what you're working seat, towards. Not only in the passenger seats or whatever. So yeah, exactly. that, that, it does make sense. Would you say career coaching was like the cherry on top for you to leave Tesla? and embark on your own business venture? Would you say that was like, after writing everything down, you were like, you know what, now it's time to go. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. It, it kind of gave me the kick in the ass that I probably needed, yeah. Now we want to move into the actual inception of your, your startup uh, or your company, yeah. CZ. And could you maybe bring us and take us with you throughout a bit of a journey, leaving Tesla and then starting with the business itself in 2019, but then actually founding it in 2020? How was that like? How did you feel? And why also, why CT? How did the name come across? It was like 
kind of random, if you will. At that point, I wanted to do my own thing. But I feel like a lot of people, especially who aren't in the startup ecosystem themselves, you have to have this one huge genius idea and then you go to work at it and then you have a unicorn a year later or something like that. But I think in 99% of the time, it's like a super iterative process. You start off with an idea, a rough idea. You kind of explore it, learn new things while exploring it, adapt your idea, do that like 10 times, and then you end up with what you have. And for me, it was the exact same thing. So we started off with the idea of a online platform where you could rent out unused real estate during the day as flexible workspaces. So the idea was if you are a restaurant or a hotel or something that has space available during the day that's not really used, you can leverage it and maybe rent it out to people who are traveling for work or freelancers or something like that. So that, that was the very first idea. And then we just built it super quick and dirty. Again, in terms of perceived risk, you think, oh, then you have to invest a million euros and, and build a whole software. It's like, no, you just took a standardized WordPress site, took us a week, and then it was up and running. And then you just start getting a bit of feedback. And some people were booking it, but it wasn't really a huge deal. Then the thing we saw is the most interesting were hotel rooms, because it was like, if you had these really cool hotel rooms, like big desks, and I don't know, it can be a quite cool experience. So we thought maybe it's a nice kind of employee benefit. So we tried to bundle up this offering and we went to corporates and we were like, hey, why don't you offer this as an employee benefit where your employees could work from a super cool hotel room once a month? It's relaxing, but they're still productive and they perceive it as a cool benefit from the company. Hmm. And some of them were like, cool, sounds interesting, um, but we have way other, way more pressing issues that we need to solve right now. And then we were like, oh, interesting, cool. Tell, then just tell us about those. And that's when they were like, yeah, you know, with COVID, as people aren't coming to the office every single day anymore, we're thinking about reducing our office space. We want to introduce shared workspace models. But then it's also more complicated to see where your colleagues are and who's coming to the office when. And if someone could help us with that, that would be really cool. And then we were just like, okay, cool. We'll, we'll try and do that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think yeah. it's, it's a super interesting journey from concept to what it's now, right? I think you started off, if I can bluntly say it, like an Airbnb for office space, right? Renting out kind of yeah. the, the shared economy trend that was happening prior to COVID and the co-working space companies such like WeWork really yeah. flourishing. I think that was a brilliant idea because neither of these platforms like Airbnb nor WeWork were actually tapping on this kind of a personal space that you could rent out, but then equally mm -hmm. hotels, I guess, prior to the pandemic, I mean, knowing a bit about the hospitality industry, I think there's lots of lack of renting out rooms during the day, right? I mean, that's not really a model anyway in, in Europe that exists much, I think in the US more. Um, that was there, yeah. That, that is a really good initial idea. And that would have been my next question, how the pandemic outbreak in March 2020 affected your business model and your strategy, really. And then you said, obviously, you iterated then adapting more towards the kind of economic need and the business needs of, of the, the people you were working with. But maybe just yeah. to double down on the pandemic itself, how did you then as a entrepreneur that was clearly really affected by it with your initial idea, how quick did you get up and, and thought about an, a new idea, a new way of how to iterate your, your initial business idea? So exactly like from one day to the next, it was like, okay, no one's going to be renting out their living room or their restaurant for work now. So that all kind of fell apart. But at the same time, the, the benefit we saw is that hotels are now also completely empty. Like you said, hotels always have a certain unoccupied rate, like 70 to 80% or so during the day, of course, when people are out and about even more. But 
all of a sudden these hotels were completely empty and super desperate to somehow get anyone in there. And so suddenly they were super open to the idea. Um, while previously it was maybe just like super innovative, modern, young, new hotels. And suddenly all these massive old school hotel chains were like, okay, cool, let's try it out. And that helped us get traction. And then we could leverage that to reach out to corporates because we were like, look, guys, we're already working with all these impressive big hotel brands. You should at least chat with us. And that's how we got into the conversations with corporates. So that's this kind of semi-random iterative process that I was talking about earlier, where you just have to dive into it and get started. Otherwise, you're never going to figure out those things that you learn along the way and that help you build the company. For sure. You said you had to pivot quite fast, but can you elaborate a little bit on the skills that you leveraged to adapt so swiftly? Like, were they influenced by some of your university experiences or even working for Tesla to like understand that, okay, now we have to switch and this is how we're going to do it? Yeah, good question. I would say this intrinsic, okay, drive, let's push forward, let's do it quick, let's find a solution. That I would still argue somehow was just something that I... Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but I've always had it in me. One thing that I would say I really learned at Tesla and that really helped me was just realizing that all of these big corporates who later on became our clients and the people that work there are, are also just approachable humans. And during the Tesla time, we were at these really big energy companies and talking to their CEOs and CFOs. And you're like, okay, I can have a conversation with these guys as a 20-year-old. They listen to me, they respect me. And that was really a big learning because then I at least had like no hard time whatsoever. And we just like messaged all the CEOs of all the biggest German companies. And we we're just like, hey, we're the startup. Do you want to chat? And 50 of them say, fuck off. But five of them are like, sure, whatever, let's talk. And that's where you start. And I think that really helped me that I didn't have those boundaries. <laughs> yeah, I guess it, it is nice when you realize, oh, I've, I've already talked to CEOs before. I can do this again. And now I just yeah. do for my business. Yeah, exactly. Once you've done it once, it gets easier every time you do it again, right? Yeah, indeed. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about how uh, CT adapted to the new business landscape? How was it not only that you pivoted the idea of your business, but also how did the business actually adapt to all of this? What I have to say is pre-pandemic, it was, it was so early, like we had only been experimenting a tiny little bit. And so the the pivot came at a pretty early stage when it was also just me and my co-founder so we weren't a, a huge business at that point yet so that made the pivot way way easier and made us way more flexible but still obviously took like a lot of consideration and it, it was still kind of a risk i guess but it, it mostly had upside because it just allowed us to tackle this kind of completely new problem this completely new market without having legacy that we somehow had to transform in order to adapt to this new problem. We had basically nothing and we could build it from scratch. And that obviously helps you be faster than other companies that have already been doing something completely different for a super long time and then have to change everything around, you know? Yeah, of course. I mean, if you have more employees or something, you have a lot more people to take care of. Whereas if it's yeah. just people or something like that, it's Exactly. Like the people, the, the systems, everything. Yeah. You've co-founded um, CT with two more co-founders, I believe, right? Yeah, so you're three. Yeah. Can you talk a bit about, obviously, now having accumulated an impressive amount of 3.5 million euros in funding, that obviously comes with growth and, and great potential and opportunities, but also it comes, obviously, with 
the process of being influenced um, by other stakeholders that either have a stake or that just put pressure on you, on your decision-making, want to have a say on your decision-making. How do you navigate around this? And, and how has that influenced you as a, as a founder among your co-founders um, when it comes to pivoting quickly, like managing on a day-to-day -day and, and making decisions? I mean, it's your co-founders and the whole process are the most important thing whatsoever. I think with our co-founders, 100% would have never been able to do CD. They like help you obviously with your day-to-day -day work, but also just when things are going bad, you have someone's shoulder crown. When things are going well, you just someone have someone to drink a beer with. But most importantly, also when like looking for a co-founder is that you're complementary. I think it's always quite detrimental that you don't have a team that's made up of pretty similar personalities and that's both in terms of hard skills and background but also in terms of personality types as in my one co-founder is more of a perfectionist type and i'm the total 80 20 type but let's rather get shit done fast person and that just complements each i mean creates friction obviously but also complements each other quite nice where if you just have two business guys that are both just super 80, 20 and not super detail oriented, then it'll be tricky. But if you just have two super techie guys that are super, super perfectionist, then you probably also won't get the pace that you need. So mm. I would say that's the biggest way in which my co-founders kind of helped me and helped CT grow and be successful so far. Right. And mm -hmm. now looking at CT nowadays, how do you feel about the company and are you still with your co-founders? And then one question you haven't answered yet, why CT? How did it come to the name? <laughs> yeah, so first of all, CT as a name is probably the worst name you can give your company because when people hear it, they don't know how to write it. And when people read it, they don't know how to pronounce it. So if we would have just asked one marketing person for one minute, they would have been like, that's a terrible name, don't do it. But hey, here we are, and we're going to live with it for now. It basically is a merger of seat, table, internet. So when we've had the very first idea, we said, you can work from anywhere where you have a place to sit, a desk and Wi-Fi connection. And we want to enable people to work from wherever those three criteria are fulfilled. And in a way, that's still kind of what we're doing. We're still trying to help employees and large enterprises work flexibly, work from wherever those criteria are fulfilled. Obviously, some more components have come on top in the meantime. But yeah, that's the background story to it. And I forgot the other question you had, you have to remind me. Again. <laughs> the performance nowadays and how you feel about the company at this point. I mean, good. <laughs> it's become a real little organization, which is wild. We have about 30 people now. So that wow. kind of totally changes your role as a founder from being the person that has to do every single thing by themselves. And if you take one day off, your entire company comes to a standstill towards more of that. I mean, we're still obviously super, super operationally involved, but you suddenly have all of these team members that you want to take care of, that you want to foster, that you want to help grow, but that you also have to give direction, give a strategy, resolve conflicts, all of that stuff. So that's a, a completely new part of the job, let's say. But all in all, yeah, we're quite happy with where the company is right now. The thing we're kind of most proud of is that we've really managed to work with some of the biggest companies in the world at this point as our customers and as like a pretty small startup kind of address their needs and have them super satisfied with us and stuff like that. So that's, mm. I would say, like the main thing we want to build upon. I was mentioning earlier, the whole fundament of CT was basically us talking to people and learning about their problems and pain points. And now the mm. more customers we have, the more we can learn about new problems and pain points that arise and try to solve mm. it for them. And that's the essence of every startup solving a problem for someone. Shifting our focus now from the 
operation of your company to a little bit of a mental health aspect. <laughs> Do you think that the hybrid and remote work models enhance our quality of life and overall well-being? I would say there's no general answer to it. <laughs> That's maybe disappointing, but really just what I've learned over time. We see it on our own team. We see that our customers, there are some people that absolutely love coming to the office five days a week. And there are people that just want to work from home or yeah, just be fully remote. And I think from what I hear, they all have their super legit reasons. So I think just being flexible and open to offer ways of working that suit really individual people's needs, that absolutely contributes, I would say, to your mental health and well-being. But I think if you're someone that needs that personal interaction, that social touch, and then you're working in a fully remote setup, I think it'd be quite difficult. And of course, if you're someone that, I don't know, has social anxiety or, or just generally rather works in a quiet, familiar environment, then remote work is fantastic and the office is a nightmare. And I also totally get that. So yeah. all in all, I think being able to offer that flexibility, which pre-pandemic for the vast majority of us wasn't an option, is, is definitely a huge, huge value add. I think you hit the nail on the head when you said everybody's different, right? So everybody might need something else. But I do think what also COVID kind of brought was that companies are more open to allowing yeah. people to be more flexible. Like I'm somebody, I need people around, but also sometimes it, I can focus better when I'm alone. So having yeah. a hybrid space or something is actually quite helpful. Like everybody's different, but having the possibilities now that it like the possibilities of doing this and in a proper way, I think is quite helpful. Going to my next question, how would you describe your management style and how do you find it at managing like a remote or hybrid team yourself? So in terms of how I find it managing a re remote slash hybrid team is it definitely brings challenges with it because mm -hmm. you, you don't have that informal daily interaction with your colleagues. You have to invest more into communication, into building culture, into building social networks within the company. So people really getting to know each other on more than just a professional level and building bonds and hence working closer together and being more productive together and also sticking around with the company longer. And that's something you definitely have to invest way more time, energy, and also money in. So like mm -hmm. money into software tools that try to help a little bit, but also money into like we still try to host quite regular offsites where we bring everyone together in one place and just work with each other for a week or so. That's the challenge. But then from a management perspective, the huge benefit is when we're recruiting people, we can look literally almost all over the world. I mean, we look in plus minus roughly European time zones primarily. But if you compare that to just hiring people in Berlin, that's still, I don't know, this is a bullshit number, but a thousand times as many potential candidates. And my hypothesis is always just rather have the right people in the wrong place rather than the wrong people in the right place. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. How do you manage stress? Now you're saying not everybody is in Berlin. People are all over the place. You obviously are one of the co-founders of the business. How do you manage your own stress? Good question. Something I, I think about a lot and try to improve as well, because it is obviously quite a stressful job. Um, mm. Three things. First is sleep. So any expert you talk to, the absolute basis is getting enough sleep. And if you don't get enough sleep, then any other things you do won't really have an impact because you're just going to be tired and your brain won't be able to process stress and you're just going to feel more stressed. Uh, that's one thing. The other thing that really helps me is just doing sports. 
maybe sounds lame, but if I go for a run in the morning or go to the gym or something, I am so much less stressed throughout the day and have so much more energy. So that's a huge thing. And then the third thing is really dedicated stress management exercises. So one of my favorite hobbies is to spiral off into endless thought processes of all the things that could go wrong. That's something I really enjoy doing, or at least my brain really enjoys doing. And there's just dedicated exercises that you can do from catching yourself again and being like, where did I, where did I just run off to there? And that, that's something I really try to do. It's like sport. It's like a not fun exercise that you have to sit down and commit time to and go through it. And it's not pleasant. You don't get any immediate reward, but I do notice over time that if you do it on a regular ongoing basis, you, you do just feel a bit less stress and can handle it better. So that's something I would also hundred percent recommend to everyone. I would say that, that those are the main things. I mean, those are three great takeaways. Let's touch base a bit on, on time management. How effective are you with time management and do you have any takeaways or learnings over the years now as an entrepreneur? that you would mm. say really made you much more efficient and much more better with your, with your calendar ultimately? I, I think I'm not the best at time management. I probably do better. I'm like this kind of pushy, you want to get stuff done quick type of guy. So that also leads me at times to just when things come in, f fall onto my table, I just want to address them right away. But mm. what I've w been working on over the last years is, you know, getting a bit better at prioritizing stuff like, okay, this just came into my inbox. Someone just asked me something, but this isn't actually the most important thing right now. I'm just going to put this aside and keep doing what I'm doing and being able to prioritize and maybe just creating a super simple framework in your mind where you're like, how much time is it going to take me to do these respective tasks? And by when do I have to do these respective tasks and what's their kind of business impact or so on? If you just have those mm -hmm three categories and you just rank them one, two, three, and then over time you kind of automate it. I think that helps quite a lot. Then the other great thing with time management is if you uh, have a girlfriend who's like, Hey, when are you coming home? That also really helps with time management. I would say um, I'd recommend. I hear that. I hear that. I second that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then just out of curiosity, are you still in touch with your career coach and or are you still seeking active career or life coaching in your current position? I'm not in touch with the coach I used for me personally back then, but we do have a, a founder's coach that we use now. I was also really surprised. I didn't really know it was a thing, didn't really know people use it. But then once I started looking into it, I realized a lot of founders actually use these coaches. Quite simple explanation was if you're an employee, you have a team lead that you can ask questions to. If you're a team lead, you have a founder that you can ask questions to. But if you're a founder, you don't really have anyone that you can ask questions to or bounce ideas off of or whatever. So me and my co-founders, we speak with her every two weeks where you can basically do two different things. The one is either just discuss ad hoc topics. Maybe you want to give someone specific feedback and you want to discuss how exactly you could ideally frame it or communicate it. Or it can also be just general management coaching, coming up with frameworks on how to develop mm -hmm. a startup strategy or go-to-market strategy, something like that. So we do that, and I would really, really recommend it. It's quite cool. Great. So it's, you it's do it individually or collectively? We do both. We always switch. Every two weeks we do, or every other week we do a group, and then every other week we do an individual session. Hmm. Okay. Very cool. No, I think that makes sense to really have someone there to talk to, right? Because as you were alluding to, there's no one really above you that you can talk to. So that's brilliant. And lastly, would you say your journey into entrepreneurship really contributed to a greater sense of personal happiness compared to your corporate experience? 
if you take a step back and look at what's happening and what you've done and stuff like that, it's super cool. And I'm sure that also in a few years from now, when I look back at this, I'm, I'm going to be like, I'm so happy I did this and what an amazing experience. So no doubt about that. But also definitely, honestly, I have to say in the day to day, it's an insane grind. It is super stressful. There's things popping up every day that you have to dress, etc. So that's definitely also something that I think you have to honestly take into account if you're doing it. But all in all, I would definitely say it's a super, super fulfilling, motivating thing. It becomes a really big part of your life. And that's good because you like it, but it obviously also leaves less space for other things. And it's also a thing to be quite open about. But all in all, I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> but that's great to hear. As we're sort of ending our podcast session, yep. we have a thing called fire round questions. So I'll ask you a few questions and you can just answer them as quickly as possible. So Sounds good. Uh, coffee or tea? Coffee. Lots of it. <laughs> morning person or night owl? Morning. Morning, morning. One book that changed your life? I have an absolute favorite book. It's called The Barbarian Days of Surfing. And it's just a guy who was working as a journalist, but then kind of decided to just go travel the world, then came back and became the most successful journalist ever. I thought that was quite inspirational because it showed that you can really nicely balance having a really successful career, but also having a really fulfilling private life and also doing what you want to do in your private life. But it's all in all just a great book that I've read several times at this point. I know I'm going to be really frustrated later on because I am going to think about some other book that makes me sound really smart, but it's not coming. <laughs> no, to I, love, right now. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. It sounds actually very interesting. <laughs> I Definitely have... recommend that. Absolutely. And then best advice you've ever received. I'll give you one in a business context, which I try to reiterate internally as well. It's a mantra of my father who says, see it, say it, fix it, <laughs> which means if you're working and stuff like that, look beyond your daily scope, look around for where, on, at least in a startup context, company-wide, you can improve things, you can contribute, voice it, take ownership over it, address it, and then don't just you know, voice the problem, but fix it, take action, take the lead in solving it. And I think if you follow that principle, you'll always be a super valued team member you kind of yeah will grow a lot in whatever working environment you're in so i, I would throw that one out there i have another one on the personal side it's a, a saying of take things the way they come but also try to make sure things come the way you want to take them I, I don't know i quite like that one yeah. i don't really know yeah, why, I like that. also a good one <laughs> last two questions as a takeaway for our audience one question is around Given the career path you've taken, what advice would you offer someone who's at a similar crossroad than you've been back in the days at Tessa about taking an uncertain step or the next step? What's one advice you would say right now that offers someone maybe more clarity on, on their next step? I would say rationalize the risk. I would say that's the biggest thing. For me personally, it always seems such a huge risk to start my own company and so huge and, and complicated and all of that. And once I kind of sat down and really thought about, okay, what could actually go wrong? So I would just be like, and maybe for other people, the risk really is that, that it really is super big. And then you decide not to go for it. And then it's also fair, but at least you really rationalized it and don't, and didn't like perceive the risk on a more emotional basis, which actually mm -hmm. didn't accurately reflect reality. That's very true. And then if there would be one thing you could change in your past, mm -hmm. what would it be 
and how would you do it now differently instead? I w if I really could go back in time, I don't actually know if I would do it differently, but I'll explain why. So the one thing I mentioned earlier is studying business. Uh, looking back now, I think I could have studied more relevant, more interesting things, more applicable to real life later on. So I, I would maybe say I wouldn't do that. But on the other hand, I met a bunch of my closest friends there. They help, helped me in my personal life. They helped me in my career as well. They're it's an amazing group of people. So probably because of that, I would go back and do it again anyways. <laughs> but if you're just looking at the academic side of things, I would probably say maybe study something a bit more, more like practical that's more relevant for your daily job later on. No, that's great advice and, and something, again, that I resonate with. I think that studying something more tangible sometimes helps in terms of, at least in my opinion, saying then that you have a, a skill set <laughs> that you yeah, can yeah. Show, show off with, like being an architect or being a, a doctor, as you alluded earlier to, or a lawyer, yeah. right? you have um, a set of skills. But that, not to be said, I mean, look at you, you've, you've come all this way. And I think to your point, it's also really important to look back and reflect positively around a decision you might have taken different, but they, that have maybe brought you exactly there where you are. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, thank you. I, I do have to say, I do think sometimes when you go to business school, it might not be the classes, but it might be the people that you meet that actually push you so much further because it, yeah. the classes might be basic business or generic classes. However, the people that you meet, you never know what they become in the future if you think about it yeah. that way. You don't know yeah. what connections you've actually built. And then when you look back, you're like, oh, this is why I was there. Yeah, for sure. No, that, that's definitely true. And I mean, in my case, they're all also super ambitious. So that also drives you and motivates you. So I 100% agree with you on the personal side of doing that. But if you take out the personal side, or if you could say, let's all come together and study something technical, but with the same people, for instance, then I would go and do that. <laughs> that's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. well, that's it. For today it's really been a thank pleasure you having you on the growth garden podcast and thank you for sharing your insights and your valuable advice and i hope our listeners enjoyed this episode and i can't too. wait to hopefully have you again at some point in the future yeah. on the podcast yeah i'm always happy to let me know <laughs> thank you chris also from my side and thanks to our listeners please like subscribe follow our channels youtube spotify you name it, and Instagram and TikTok. And we hope to see you next time and keep cultivating your growth journey. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Bye.